You everybody doing good today? Oh, it's good to see you. I love being in this place with you, lifting up Jesus. Success starts on Sundays in God's house, worshiping Jesus, hearing the preaching of God's word. Our week's going to be better because we're beginning it in God's house. And I want to say a special welcome to all of our guests. If you're new with us today, welcome to People's Church. I'm really glad that you've taken time out of your schedule to come and to worship with us and to connect with our risen Savior. And we're just honored to have you here. And we're going to have a short guest reception immediately following the service and at all of our locations. And we would love to be able to connect with you, our staff, my wife and I. We would love to connect with you after the service as well and just meet you, shake your hand. If this is your first time here at People's Church or you've been coming the last three or four, five, six, seven weeks, we would just love to be able to meet you. I want to give you a copy of uh, my book called But God Changes Everything. So welcome to all of our guests today. And uh, I want to say welcome to all of our campuses. If you're new with us, you may not be aware of this, but we are one church in five different locations. We have three in the Oklahoma City metro area, one in Midwest, Midwest City, one in Northwest Oklahoma City. Then we have the campus at Mabel Bassett. Welcome all you ladies, we love you. Then we have a location in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, there, People's Church there, and so God is on the move. And then there's thousands that join us online around the world, and we welcome you as well. And before I dive into the message today, I want us to take a moment and pray for the people in the Bahamas. Um, my heart was touched watching the tragic events and then I met a lady at guest reception uh, just a few moments ago whose family was directly impacted by uh, what happened there in the Bahamas and her family's lost everything and so my heart is touched and I just want you to know because you tithe and you're so faithful to give the dream builders uh, you have already sent over $5,000. We sent that this week to, uh, today to Convoy of Hope to help. There's food and supplies are already on the ground. And so thank you uh, for that, for your generosity. And some of you are wondering, how can I get involved in helping Haiti, or excuse me, helping the people in the Bahamas? Well, if you just tithe, if you'll give the Dream Builders, we're going to funnel the dollars there to make a difference. So thank you for your giving. Let's pray today. Father, we pray for the people of the Bahamas and Lord, the tragedy that's hit there through this hurricane and the loss of lives and loss of homes. People lost everything. God, sometimes we don't even have the words to say, but we ask that you touch the people, that you strengthen them. Thank you that you're a God of grace and mercy. And I pray that you provide for every need that they have. Comfort, strengthen, I thank you right now, God, for giving a hope where a situation might just seem hopeless to people. I thank you for your power and for drawing the Bahamian people to yourself today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen and amen. Well, we're kicking off a series today called Like a Boss, and we're going to talk about the workplace. We're going to talk about career and I'm excited about this series and we're going to talk about subjects like throughout this series like what do you do when you're in a bad work environment uh, how do you how do you respond you know we're going to talk about a week about how do you get a promotion how do you get a raise anybody want a promotion anybody want a raise come on we want a raise the rest of you are lying that's okay <laughs> We're going to talk about that throughout this series, and so excited about, about all that God's going to do through this series. And here's how I want to begin today. I want to begin with a little audience participation. So 
I need 100% participation at every single location right now. So here's what I want you to do is in a moment, I'm going to ask you to turn to the person sitting next to you. And I want you to ask them what their very first job was. What was your very first job? And then, then I want them to ask you, what was your first job? And then I want this question asked. Did you enjoy it? Yes or no? What was your first job? And did you enjoy it? You only have 15 seconds. Ready? Go. Okay, hey, y'all having conversations. Let's stop it. I didn't say now to start dissecting everything. You know, you, I gave you a clear assignment. My first job was throwing newspapers. I would get the, we woke a paper and I would bundle it all up, put the, put the rubber band on it, put it in my, my, my little bag, and I rolled my bicycle and I delivered newspapers at people's homes and, and I enjoyed my first job. And, and the subject of work, the subject of career is a very important subject because you and I will spend about a third of our life at work. It's important. So whether you love your job or you hate your job, your job is a big deal. Because about 90,000 hours of your life will be spent driving to work, leaving work, at work. Your, your life, so many hours will be spent at work. So I want us to carve out the next four or five weeks together. And I want us to talk about where we're going to spend a third of our life. Why? Because it consumes so much of our life. And second, second, the second reason I want to talk about this subject is because when it comes to work, oftentimes it's the last place where people think they'll encounter God. And I want to talk to you about this because the Bible has so much to say about work. The Bible has so much to say about your job and that you can actually encounter the Lord. Here's what I want to do for just a moment. I, I, I just want to take a quick side note. And I want to talk to those of you that are retired and you may think that this series will not apply to you. And all of you that are retired, you know this better than the rest of us. You know just because you're retired that your work is not done. You're still working. You're still doing something. Now, you, you might be working and no longer getting a paycheck for it, but you are still working. And I want you to understand, if you are retired, God has so much more he wants to accomplish in and through your life. This series is for everybody. And I want us to go back to the very beginning, because if we're going to understand work, we have to first lay a foundation. I want to take us back to the very beginning, the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. And I want us to lay a framework so that we can understand just theologically about work and how it impacts our life. And the first thing that I want you to understand is that work existed before sin entered. Work existed before sin entered. There are people that think that work is a part of the fall of man. There are people that think if Adam and Eve didn't eat that fruit, we wouldn't have to work. And that is not accurate. 
The Bible says this in the book of beginnings, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. God's giving them a job. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the living creatures that moves along the ground. Notice before sin ever entered the world, God says, I want humanity to work. I want them to have a role. I want them to have a purpose. I want them to have a job. So part of God's original plan before sin ever came into the world, God's plan was for you and I to work. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 19 says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he, would, he could name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. And I think this is so interesting and so awesome. God could have named all the animals. How many know God could handle that on his own? Come on, he's, he's God. But, but, but what's awesome is God invites Adam into the creative process. God, God gives Adam a job. He gives him work. And he also allows Adam to be creative. It's pretty awesome. And now the implication for you and I today is no matter what kind of job, whether you wait tables or teach students or work in an office or pick up trash or own your own company, your work develops, maintains, and repairs the very fabric of life, regardless of what you do. Regardless of what you do, you have to understand you have been invited into God's creative plan and into God's creative process. It is God's plan for us to work. And Ecclesiastes says this in chapter 5 and verse 18. Even so, I have noticed one thing, at least that, that is good. It is good for people to eat. Mm. That eating part got me excited right there, but... That's not what my sermon's on, so let me move on. It's good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. So, so the Bible kind of gives us this idea that when it comes to work, we're supposed to enjoy it. We're actually supposed to, uh, uh, as, as far as a part of God's purpose for work is, is this thing called enjoyment. And I know some of you are going, Really? Yet God's original plan was that we would enjoy work. And you know the reality is a lot of people don't enjoy work. They're, they're miserable at work. If you look at studies today, studies show statistically that it's never been any higher time in our United States of America where people are dissatisfied with their job. They're not happy with their work. They're miserable at their job. Why is that? God, God said, my plan is for you to enjoy work. Why are so many people miserable at their workplace? For, for some, it would be, they would say, well, it's my boss. Huh? My boss makes me miserable. Some would say, it's my coworkers. It's my environment. I don't like my coworkers. I don't like my environment. It just makes me, it's miserable being at work. There would be some that would say, well, I don't enjoy my job because I don't agree with the goals. I don't agree with the ethics of the company that I work for and just feel miserable. 
but, but, but the vast majority of people, the reason they're not happy and they're dissatisfied with work is because they don't feel like they're making any real kind of contribution. So there's like, I mean, I'm working eight to five and I don't feel like I'm making a real difference. I don't feel like I'm making a contribution. And I want you to understand this about work. Number two, sin has distorted work and relationships. It's distorted work and relationships. You see, work exists inside of a world that is sustained by God, but is distorted by sin. It's important that you understand this. Work is, in, is, is, is inside of a world that's sustained by God, but is distorted by, by sin. And when you understand how sin has impacted our work, you can then begin to, to redeem it. You can then begin to counteract it. You can then begin to reclaim the satisfaction that God intended for you to enjoy and to experience at your workplace. But it's not until you first understand how sin is impacting your work and your relationships. You see, at the very beginning with Adam and Eve, when, that, when God created them, it was perfection. It's hard for you and I to comprehend that today, but it was perfection. There was no sin. There was no, there was no sickness. There was no animosity. There was no division. They got along. I mean, it was, it was perfect. Their relationship with God was perfect. Their relationship with, with each other was perfect. And then sin entered in. And right when sin came on the scene, the first thing that we see is Adam begins to blame Eve. Is there a woman? you gave me and and Eve's thinking oh no you didn't you sat there and watched me eat that fruit and you said nothing and they're at each other now now there begins to be division in their relationship I mean this is what happened when sin came in there began to be division in their relationship and not only was there division in their relationship and this feeling of division in their heart, but the Bible says they begin to hide from God. They begin to distance themselves from God. And, and now we see there's, there's division between them and God. And then the Bible says they begin to cover themselves with fig leaves. And, and not only were they, were they, did they have division between each other and division between them and God, but now they're divided on the inside. And now we see that Adam and Eve, they're, they're, they're dealing with shame for the first time. They're dealing with their, struggling with their value. They're struggling with their self-worth. Their, their identity gets all messed up because of sin. You see, because of this fallen and broken world, they started to lose their identity. They, they started to conf get confused about their purpose and they're hiding from God and, and they're arguing with, with each other and they're covering themselves up with fig leaves because now they're dealing with shame and they're divided all on the inside. And that's the impact of of sin and understand that when you and I when there's a lack of identity and purpose it will always equal dissatisfaction I'm going to say that again your identity gets all messed up when there's a lack of identity when there's a lack of purpose there will always be dissatisfaction it doesn't matter what you do doesn't matter how much money you make doesn't matter if you get the corner office no matter if you get the promotion or the raise, if you lack identity, if you lack God's purpose for your life, you will always be dissatisfied. So you know what we have to do? We have to first figure out our identity. We have to figure out our purpose so that we can actually enjoy our work. And I want to talk about that for the next few moments today. We're going to look at the life of David. David had his identity challenged 
And I want to talk to you about four things that challenge your identity. Four things that is messing up some of your identity and causing you to be dissatisfied at your, at your workplace. And the first is this, family. Family. Stop looking at the person next to you right now. You, you messing up my life is what you're doing. That's not what I'm talking about. But I want to talk to you about this. Because your family can be a barrier to you discovering your true identity. Notice I didn't say your false identity, your fake identity. I'm not talking about the identity you put up on social media and Instagram. I'm not talking about that identity. I'm talking about your true identity. And your family can say things and do things that mess up your identity. And I think about David. David was a shepherd boy. He was the youngest of eight sons. And David took care of his father's sheep. And, and his brothers, the scriptures say, were off the war. They were fighting against the Philistines. And David was left at home taking care of the sheep. His brothers were off doing a really important job in society. And now David's father tells him, hey, son, I want you to take some food to your brothers and check on them and bring me back a report. So David carries the food to his brothers. And when he gets to his brothers, he has this exchange, his dialogue with his older, his oldest brother. And here's what his older, his oldest brother says in 1 Samuel 17, verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? Do you notice how condescending he's being? You don't belong here. Go back to your meaningless job. All you do is watch a few sheep. He says, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now, what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? And let me remind you that David is a teenage boy here. He's had a very vulnerable time in his life. He's the youngest of eight brothers. And like many teenagers, he's looking for his identity. He's looking for his purpose. His brother's probably somewhere around 15 years older than him. And like most younger siblings, he, he respects his brother. He, he loves his brother. He, he looks up to his brother. He admires his brother. His brother is a soldier in the Israelite army. And his older brother looks at David and he begins to talk down to him. He begins to speak death to David's heart. And friends, our families can say things to us that we can allow to destroy us on the inside, destroy our confidence, destroy our self-esteem, destroy our identity. And I remember growing up, and I knew that my parents loved me. But there were times my parents said things to me that devastated me. That I would go and cry. I'd be confused. I lost my confidence. You know, you're hearing things like, you're never going to learn how to drive a car. You can't even tie a piece of wire around the fence. I remember that. Remember how it devastated me. Some of you grew up in a home when your parents would argue and, and then they would say things to you like this and it hurt you and it wounded you. You'd hear things like, you're going to be just like your daddy. You're going to be just like your mama. And you'd be wounded and hurt. And I remember feeling that confused and my identity and, and just confused about who I was and not, not, nobody believing in me. And that's where some of you are today. You're an adult today. And if you were honest with yourself and you start tracing back your history, you lost your confidence. You lost your identity. You lost your swag. Back as a kid. Because you heard things from your own family like you're stupid. 
and you're dumb. You're never going to amount to anything. You can't do that. Shut up. Your opinion doesn't matter. Be quiet. You felt unloved. You felt unwanted. You felt that nobody believed in you. You experienced abuse. You heard things like, if you really want to make us happy, here's how you make us happy. You go to the school we want you to go to. You major in what we want you to major in. You, take the, you do the career field we want you to do. You, you take the job. You help with the family business. You, you do what we want, and then you'll get our approval. And that, that stuff got in your mind, and it got in your heart, and you are an adult today, and you're facing an identity crisis. Family, family, family can challenge our identity. Number two is this, leaders and people we respect. Leaders and people we respect can challenge our identity. And David had his identity challenged by Saul. Saul at the time was the king of Israel. He was the most powerful man that David knew. And notice what Saul says to David in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your, your, your servant will go and fight him. That's what David said. Saul replied, you are not able. Notice those first word, words. You are not able. You are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. Some translations say you're only a boy. And he has been a warrior from his youth. And here is David looking at the king that he respects. The most powerful man that he knows. The, the, the leader of the Israelite army leading them into battle and he looks at David and he says you cannot do it you are not able you're just a boy have you ever had somebody that you respected have you ever had a leader in your life or maybe it was a, a, a teacher or a coach or a neighbor or a boss somebody that you really respected and they looked at you and they said those words you are not able you are not able you know, you're not talented enough. You're not smart enough. Your grades are not good enough. You're too young. You're too old. You don't have the right skin color. You don't know the right people. You don't have enough money. You don't have the education it takes. You don't have the ability to pull that off. And those words can damage you on the inside. I remember when Tiffany and I, we were dating in college. We, we actually met in college, and we started dating and started falling in love, and we both loved the Lord, and I was praying about my spouse and who I was supposed to marry and began to feel like, I think God wants me to marry this young lady. So I went to a spiritual leader who was a lot older than me and a lot wiser than me for spiritual counsel and guidance. And I sat down in his office and I told him about my relationship with Tiffany. And, and I remember what he said to me. He said, with purity of heart, he said, Herbert, if you marry her, your ministry is going to be hindered. He said, if you marry, if you get in an interracial relationship, you're not going to experience the success that you could experience. I remember those words. You, you, you can't do that. And then, then, then I graduated from college and I started traveling and speaking. And, and one of the pastors I respected the most, I remember he sat down and he told me this. He said, Herbert, I can't have you preach in my church because of your marriage. My, 
My church is not ready for that. And I remember those words. You're not able. Your ministry is not going to be a success. In those words I heard, they began to ring in my heart. They began to come in my mind. And friends, can I tell you the words that leaders say to us, the words that people speak over our life that that we respect, they can cause us to lose self-confidence. They can cause us to to doubt. They can cause us to question our gifts. They can cause us to question our talents. They can cause us to question our ability. You have to be careful because the words that leaders and people you respect speak over your life can deeply impact you and cause you to have an identity crisis number three is this there's a there's a there's a third a third thing that will challenge your identity and number three is this your enemies your enemies can mess up your identity notice what the scripture says in first samuel chapter 17 verse 42 is talking about goliath the, the giant and it says it says he looked david over and saw that he was little more than a boy glowing with health and handsome and he despised him he said to david notice what goliath says am i a dog that you come to me with sticks and the philistine cursed david by his gods come here he said and i will give your flesh to the birds and the and the wild animals now now here's this huge giant goliath this skilled fighter and warrior and he's speaking death to david the scripture says he cursed him the scripture says he told david i will kill you friends can i tell you if if you didn't know this i want to be the person that speaks this to your life so that you would know this if you did not know let me tell you this There will always be an enemy in your life that's trying to rob you and kill from you and to stop you from reaching your God-given purpose. You will always have an enemy, enemies in your life. There will always be people that will talk about you, that will gossip about you. Get get used to it. They're going to lie on you. Now, I can tell you here, if you don't want anybody to gossip about you, talk about you and lie on you here here's what you do i can tell you how not to have that happen here's how don't say anything don't do anything and don't be anything (laughs) and people will be quiet but if you decide you're going to move forward in life and you're going to pursue god's purpose and god's plan for your life there will always be people that will talk about you that will despise you that will try to pull you down that will laugh at you that will speak death over your future and death over your dreams there's always an enemy They'll try to destroy you. And I've got my own enemies, but let me tell you what I've learned about enemies. I let it go to my head, but not my heart. I hear what you're saying. I'm going to process it because I want to learn from it. I want to grow. I want to examine. But what you're saying is not going to go to my heart where I lose my confidence, where I lose my trust in God, where I feel like I cannot move forward. It went to my head, but not my heart. You will not paralyze me. You will not stop me from moving forward into all that God has for my life. Enemies, enemies, enemies. There, there's, a, there's a fourth thing that will challenge your identity. And number four is this. Finding your identity in the wrong things. Finding your identity in the wrong things. Some of you are struggling with your identity because you're trying to find it in all the wrong things. Some of you are trying to find your identity in your job, in what you do. Some of you are trying to find your identity and your self-worth through success. Your, your identity is all tied up in, in certain goals and, and in, what you, in what you do. Your, your sense of self-worth is fueled by what you do. And if this is you, let me give you a couple of symptoms. 
you know that your self-esteem and your self-worth is tied up in what you do when you make mistakes and you believe you are a mistake. When, when, when you fail at a task and now you struggle with feeling like a failure. It's because you, you, your identity is wrapped up in what you do. For, for, for some of you, the symptom is you have to be doing great at work to feel happy and alive. If you don't feel great about work, you don't feel great about how things are going, you feel like a loser. You, you don't feel happy. You don't have any joy. You don't have a smile on your face because you've tied your worth and your value to what you do. And let me tell you, here's, here, here's, what, here's what you have to know. For some of you, if you didn't have your job, if you didn't have your title, if you didn't have your position, you would feel like you didn't matter. You, you would feel like you're a nobody. Because your self-worth is tied to what you're doing, to your job, and to some title. And, and friends, you will always be dissatisfied no matter your job if your self-worth is tied to what you do. So that's one extreme. Then we have people on the whole opposite of the extreme. And then there are people that they don't get their value from what they do. They get their value from people. That they get their value because they want to, they, they got to be loved and accepted by everybody or they're not happy. Their value comes from people. And so, and so they're, they, they, they're always looking to people and, and that they're always wanting to get validated. And, and, and matter of fact, people like this, here's some symptoms. You, you, you know that you're struggling with this, that you're getting your identity from people when you always say yes, when you know you should say no. But you want to please people. You want to be validated. You want to be accepted and loved. You, you know you're wrestling with your identity, and your identity is connected to people instead of to the Lord. You, you, you know that's happening when you're just always silent and just go with the flow, even though the things you're doing go against your conviction. But you just want to fit in, so you just try to, everywhere you go, you just try to fit into everybody else, what everybody else is doing. You're just going to fit in because you're getting your identity from people. And what I love about David is David did not find his identity in people. He didn't live to try to please people. He didn't live for about what, what he did. His identity was not tied up, but that I keep sheep. No, he found his identity in God alone. I want to show this to you real quick. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 36, it says this. This is, this, this is David talking to the king when the king says, you, you can't do it. He says, your, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. This is not about me. It's not about him cursing me. This is about the Lord. That's where my identity is. Verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me. The Lord will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And I love what, 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 David, what, what Saul says to David. Saul says, go and the Lord be with you. I mean, since you're talking about the Lord so much, I hope he's with you. Since you got so much of confidence, may the Lord be with you with all this the Lord talk stuff you're doing. Because I'm not going to fight that, brother. I'm not going. May the Lord be with you. David's identity was in God. He leaned on the Lord. Even when King Saul told David, David, I, you go fight him, but you have to wear my armor. Put on my armor and go fight the king and go fight the giant with my stuff. David had enough security and identity in who he was in God and the gifts that God had given him. He said, Mr. King, I can't go in your stuff. I mean, this is a teenage boy talking to the most powerful man in the land. And he says, I can't do it your way. His confidence was in God. And I want you to listen to what David told Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. 
but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Do you see where his identity was? In the name of the Lord Almighty. He said, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, this day the Lord. Come on, everybody shout the Lord. Oh, you didn't shout, shout the Lord. This day, David says, my identity is in the Lord. The Lord will deliver you into my hands. And I will strike, down, strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and to the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear. The Lord says, this is not about me. My identity is in God. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. David's identity was found in God alone. Listen to me, people's church. If you're trying to find your identity in work, in a position, in a title, if you're trying to find your identity in pleasing people, no matter what you do for a living, you're going to be dissatisfied. You cannot find your identity in any other place except for in Jesus Christ. In Jesus. You have to know who you are in Christ. You got to believe it. You got to know it. Who are you in Jesus Christ? Let me tell you what the Bible says about you. You got to know who you are in Christ. Let me tell you, the scripture says this. The holy word of God says you're a new creation. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're accepted. You're forgiven. You're a chosen generation. You're free from sin. You're a child of God. You're a friend of God. You're more than a conqueror. You're the head and not the tail. You're blessed in the city, blessed in the field. You're powerful. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have a life more abundantly. You have a purpose. You have joy unspeakable and full of glory. You have the peace of God. You have a hope and a future. You are whom God says you are. It doesn't matter if you lose your money. You're who God says you are. You can get fired from your job, but you're who God says you are. You can lose your car and your house, but you're who God says you are. People can walk out on you, but you're who God says you are. You're a child of God. You're a friend of God. Oh, my identity's not in my work. My identity is in Jesus. You don't gotta like me. My identity is in Jesus. You gotta know who you are.